You're listening to Food for the Future on 980 CFPL, Curious Cast, and where you get your podcasts. Here's your host, Peggy O'Neill. I'm Peggy O'Neill, host of Food for the Future, a weekly podcast that brings the humanities to today's food dialogue by showcasing everyday people trying to make a difference. This show is part of the series Back to the Future. I share stories from family farmers, conservationists, and artisans who spend their lives conserving agri-food traditions in hope for a simpler world. Today, we're speaking with Kristen Enns Cavanaugh, Executive Director at the Saskatchewan History and Folklore Society, about preserving food, agriculture, and rural knowledge. Welcome, Kristen. Hi. Thanks so much for having me. I'm so excited to be here. We're absolutely delighted that you could join us, Kristen. Let's start with what is the Saskatchewan History and Folklore Society? Sure, yeah. The Saskatchewan History and Folklore Society is a small uh, history and folklore nonprofit. We're out of Saskatchewan. Um, we've been around since 1957. Um, I haven't been around quite that long. <laughs> um, and we're really sort of about the people stories and that zoomed in view of history. So you have your broad spectrum histories that kind of track trends across countries and across time. And those are awesome. But also, sometimes when you hear a personal story, you can connect it to history in ways that are really helpful. So we really are about those personal stories and that zoomed in data daily life, which I think really ties into agri-food and food and all kind of how we live our lives. And so the stories of people that were working the land and growing the food, this is everyday people telling the stories Mm -hmm. of their lives, sharing it orally or in other mediums. And you and the whole team at the Saskatchewan History and Folklore Society have preserved that. I I can't contain my excitement, Kristen. I'm just really so (laughs) glad that you're here. And you told us the date that the uh, society was founded, but can you tell us a little bit more about how it got founded and who decided one day, you know what, let's write these down or keep a record of the things that we're seeing in the everyday lives of the people? Sure. Yeah. So it was started in 1957 and how it became history and folklore was kind of an interesting story because there were some very traditional, what you would call traditional folklorists, folks who were studying music and songs um, and those kinds of oral histories and food traditions and things like that. Um, and we had Everett Baker, who was our, our first president and who um, actually left behind a really wonderful, um, very large photograph collection of Saskatchewan, rural Saskatchewan in the 50s, 60s and 70s. And so he was our first president and he really, really wanted to have the history angle in there as well. So it became the History and Folklore Society. And so the two have kind of melded ever since then. And I think where we've come together in this is that you really do get, again, that sense of history from the personal connection. And there's so much intertwining between our folk stories, our folk communication, and how we conceive our history. So it all it all kind of blends together and it's never quite the same thing twice. But yeah, we're, we're unusual. We There's no other history and folklore societies anywhere in Canada. So yes, and maybe that'll start a trend. Uh, there will be some more history and folklore societies or places that we can find all of this incredible popular knowledge. I just got an incredible vision while you were talking, Kristen, of not just the pictures of what was happening in the mid 50s when the society was founded, but also it's interesting to look back and see what was going on. But it's also interesting to not just distance or distinguish our lives now from what was, but also see the similarities. You know, people were hoping for a good life and probably wanted something for their families, loved working with the land and understanding the seasons. So I love that duality of looking back, you know, how mm-hmm. how it was so different then, but also from a a life and a human perspective, how similar. So what are some of the projects that the Saskatchewan History and Folklore Society are working on right now, Kristen? 
So we have a few things. We have a magazine that's actually been in print since 1979, which is called Folklore. And we won't get ahead of ourselves, but that does have quite a bit of, of sort of agricultural history in it. So we're continuing to publish that four times a year and working on to kind of modernize it, get more stories into it, uh, more stories from a diverse variety of people. So we kind of get everyone's story in there. That's really that personal story aspect again, because it's sort of a memoir history and it's people's personal experiences. And so building out of that personal experience storytelling, we also have a couple of programs for young people that we're working on right now. So we do have youth storytelling every summer and we're actually have a new and really exciting partnership that we're working on with the Afro Mentorship Initiative here in, in Saskatchewan, which is talking to, um, to young kids about storytelling, but also really starting to record and think about the oral histories of the Afro-Saskatchewan diaspora um, and getting some of those histories and those stories um, recorded and connecting that to youth and what that means for them and their identity. So we do have a couple of, yeah, a few kind of cool things going on at the moment. That's very cool. And where can listeners, we're across Canada and, and actually internationally because the show's on Spotify, Google, Amazon, and Apple, where can anyone listening in access the magazine? Um, okay, so you can find us on our website at www.skhistory.ca. There's a thing right at the top there that says subscribe. So it is actually a print magazine that gets sent out four times a year and anyone in the world can uh, get a membership. It's $25 a year. We also have, and I'm sort of scooping ourselves again here, but we also have our back issues online um, up to anything older than three years. And so maybe when we talk a bit about kind of agri-food knowledge, we can get into what's what's in those, but we have those as well. Okay, wonderful. And are some of yeah. the archived ones in national archives or with libraries that people connected to universities or public information sources might be able to find? Yeah, um, the University of Saskatchewan has our, our complete collection um, in print. I believe the Saskatchewan Legislative Library has us as well. And and yeah, all of the, the things that are online are all the back issues right from the first one in 1979. So you can find everyone in a, in a searchable PDF. And we also have, if you're a researcher, we have um, searchable PDFs compiled by decades. So if you're looking for something specific, that type of thing would be really helpful. So yeah, just contact the office and we can hook you up with that. Okay, yeah. that's really helpful information. And so many things to look forward to. You said that you are starting to tell wider stories and for example, the African diaspora. So people that were in the area whose stories might not be somewhere else that they can be shared with the people that have carried that through in generations. So what an incredible resource. Life hasn't been easy. We know that, Kristen. How does understanding heritage from various perspectives help inform our way of life now? Oh, well, that's, that's a marvelous question. And I think a couple, couple things. Um, the first thing is, is that understanding how we got to where we are. You know, we live in an incredibly complex world and understanding how we, things got to be the way they are really helps us make sense of our modern world and then hopefully figure out what actions we might want to take for the future. So that's part of it. Um, and I think also other types of history just really helps us, I want to say in that that personal and sort of emotional way. And I guess I can give an example. When the pandemic started, I had a wonderful, wonderful man who actually gifted us another one of our photo collections, Adrian Payton. He's no longer with us. But um, as soon as the pandemic started, it was right in March and, and emotions were high and everyone, no one knew what to think. And I think he really felt like he needed this, you know, we people needed this story and he was right. So he, he sent in a story to folklore, which was his father's telling to him of his father's experience in the 1918 um, Spanish flu pandemic. And so we put it on our online blog and it got to this day, it's it's the most viewed 
article on our entire blog. And it was this wonderful, very personal story about um, his father, who his entire family got sick. He was the only one, for whatever reason, didn't come down with the flu. And so he was running the farm and taking care of his family. And then the neighbor's farm, everyone got sick there, except two little boys who are about 10 and 12. And so these three, this teenager and these two little boys are running the two farms while everybody in their whole family is sick. So it's kind of their experiences, what they had to do. And then it kind of goes on to a, to a happy ending in the sense that all of, both members of both families, they all survive. But then it also kind of goes into the future. And he mentions that years later, that neighbor family gave his dad his favorite horse and they gave it to him as a gift uh, to thank him for taking care of them, you know, during this time. And so I think it's hard to say why it really struck such a chord. But based kind of on my own experience, I think it was maybe because it was a very personal experience. When you look at these three boys trying to manage the farm and you think, well, you know, these are just ordinary people and they're not that different from me. And they they coped. So maybe I can cope. And it also took you further into the future to remind you that they got through this and they had a whole life, you know, after the pandemic was over. Yeah. So I think people just really needed that. And so it wound up being an incredible, really popular article. I'm really glad Adrian wrote it and, and sort of passed that, that knowledge on. And so there's, there's just a few different ways that history can really enrich our lives that way. It can, yeah, kind of just give us that boost that we need maybe to recognize a perspective on our, on our situation and also just help us understand our modern situation. Right. And as we were talking earlier in the show, the ideas about how, how it was so different then, there's this common thread, right? And as you were telling this incredible story, I'm thinking, wow, not many Hollywood movies even have that level of intrigue. You know, everyone becoming ill and three young boys saving the farm and then everyone pulling through, you know, and it's, it's a story of uh, ingenuity and resilience. Um, there's something we recognize in not the characters, but these three young boys in ourselves. And so it is really incredible knowledge. Thank you so much. I'm just wondering, Christian, you, you mentioned that you had some uh, programs running for youth. Do you want to expand on what's available for youth? Because I think the next generation, whether you're going to work in agri-food or not, we all eat. And so we are all part of agri-food, no matter where we enter the continuum. So can you expand on what you offer the youth? We call it youth storytelling, which is maybe a bit <laughs> unimaginative, but it's again getting back to that personal stories and providing a space for young people at this point, like largely teenagers, to be able to think about how to develop their own voice and to understand that they have a story and it's an important story. And just to be able to have some of the skills to share that and the confidence to share that. So for example, what we did this most recent iteration, um, we had we usually have um, artist mentors. And so our artist mentor this year was Curtis Petitus. He's a really wonderful um, a theater person. And also he's now an educator working with uh, young people in Saskatoon here and he his passion is powwow dance he sort of came to that as an adult and so he tells the story of how he came to powwow dance as an adult and for the young people and then in this case we had a few different youth who already had some powwow dance experience and so we actually ended the whole five-day series with going to a powwow in Saskatchewan so that the youth could experience being at a powwow. And even the ones who weren't dancing got to experience being there, understanding what that was like, and understanding like some of the traditions and like what you do at a powwow and how you behave and how it works. And so that kind of knowledge um, that we were trying to share. And when we think about the individual stories, like Curtis always likes to say, you, know, you have your family stories, you have your community stories, but what's your first story? It's, it's your family story. And people do really connect very deeply to their family histories. And so those kind of taking it back to our histories on the farm or the histories of our family, the histories of how our family got to Canada. All of those things are part of our own identity puzzle. And so it's just really bringing that out for the young people and encouraging them to kind of develop in that way. 
I so badly wish I had been there, or maybe I'll be able to get out to get to one. Let me know and I'll figure something out because I don't <laughs> want to miss out on what's happening at the Saskatchewan History and Folklore Society. And the idea that our lives are a story, I think there's something almost comforting in that too, in that when is it just a difficult chapter and not the end of the story? Again, that finding resilience and really understanding our time, our place, our circumstance, absolutely wonderful. After the break, we'll discuss the social significance of preserving agri-food knowledge with Kristen Enns Kavanaugh from the Saskatchewan History and Folklore Society. This is Food for the Future, and I'm your host, Peggy O'Neill. Welcome back to Food for the Future on 980 CFPL, Curious Cast, and where you get your podcasts. Welcome back. I'm your host, Peggy O'Neill. You're listening to Food for the Future. We're speaking with Kristen Enns Kavanaugh about folklore in agri-food. Kristen, we hear the word folklore. Many of us have heard it, but what actually is it? I'm very excited for this question. <laughs> so when I, I'm not a trained folklorist, um, I'm an archaeologist actually in my background. And so when I started this job about seven years ago, I went on a quest to find, you know, what is folklore? What's the definition? And I was a bit disappointed initially that I couldn't find a pat definition that everybody could agree on. Um, but I think the reason for that is because it's so varied and so intertwined in so many aspects of human life that it's hard to come up with a single definition. But I, sort of for me, what I've kind of landed on, and I think a lot of folklorists would agree with this, is it's it's kind of communication between groups. And so anyone can be a folk group. Um, a hockey team can be a folk group. A family is a folk group. Um, a knitting club is a folk group. Um, an online fandom is a folk group. They all have something in common and they all have their own jokes and their own traditions. And that also includes food and traditions and knowledge about the land, knowledge about gardening, knowledge about how to even how to repair a tractor, right? Like all, all that kind of knowledge, uh, all the little things that you know about how to survive in your world. That's all part of it as well. And um, folk performances and things at Halloween and, of course, traditions, calendar festivals like Christmas and all those kinds of things. That's all folklore. I, I tend to focus on like jokes and sayings because I'm just really passionate about language. So if you're a you know, family and you've got some in-jokes, that's, you know, that's your folklore. So in the continuum of formal aspects of human life to informal, folklore really tends to the informal and creative side of things. So, um, for example, there was a fellow in the 70s um, here in Regina in Saskatchewan who uh, made it his mission to go around and record all the little skipping songs that little girls sang in the playground. So I remember, you know, singing to skipping songs. And so your teachers didn't teach you that, you know, you didn't have a syllabus for learning skipping songs. You learned it from other kids and you pass it on to other kids. And skipping songs have all kinds of variations because they can change. Any one person can change a skipping song to some other lyric at any time. And, and you know, and indeed they do. So it's very fluid and creative in that sense. So I try, tend to think of it as this folk communication involving a lot of creativity, a lot of jokes and fun. And, and again, yeah, all those traditions, especially around food. Food is food is the big one, right? Because food is kind of what glues us together socially. Um, there's so much, it's really impossible to separate food from our, our social traditions. So yeah, so that's that's my long, you can't say what is folklore in, in a short sentence, I don't think. <laughs> well, thank you for shedding some light on what it, it is. And the takeaway, it's it's just oral stories between groups. And what I loved uh, what about what you were saying is it's for everybody. It can be anyone creating, as you had said, a story that is of subject matter of interest to them. Fascinating. Yeah. Yeah. So how is folklore an important source of knowledge? You talked about creative and yeah. just for fun and that kind of thing, but how does it convey knowledge? 
I think at its heart, all of folklore is conveying kind of a message about sort of how to be in the world, but, but to be more concrete about knowledge. Um, I would say like, if you use the example of gardening, you could write down how, you know, how to plant a tomato plant or how to grow it and all those kinds of things. But it's really something that you kind of have to do to really understand. And so if you're able to be with someone and plant the tomato plant with them, not only will you learn about that, but you'll probably learn all kinds of other related things. And you'll actually have a relationship with that person because you had to spend time with them. And so it is that really important communication of knowledge and intergenerational. And yeah, and the the interesting thing about it is because it's so oral and so embodied in, in the things that we do, it can be really ephemeral. So over the course of a lifetime, a person could amass absolutely so much knowledge about something and maybe only a percentage of that in the end actually you know winds up being passed on and if you can kind of imagine like the knowledge that my family's only been here in Saskatchewan for a little over 100 years but being able to tell that autumn's coming because of the way the light changes and things I mean, you can only imagine what kind of knowledge you would have if, if you've been here since time memorial immemorial right and so that knowledge there's so much of it and it is really important to try to have that intergenerational transfer so that you do transfer some of that on accepting of course that when, when you lose an old person there is some knowledge that is, is actually lost forever because it was specific to them incredibly important the work that you do at the saskatchewan history and folklore society all the things that you've just described this um, intangible personal heritage almost and why it's so important to continue conversations like that which brings me to this show we try to bring the humanities to today's food dialogue and that includes understanding our past and how do stories or folklore help us come together now um, well, I think, again, going back to that relational aspect of it, um, if you are learning from somebody else, learning a traditional skill, and I think something that has kind of happened in, in food is people are looking at more local, more sustainable, and, and looking to find out, you know, how do I garden? How do I can? How do I preserve? And so to learn those skills, you need to have a relationship with a person who can actually teach you. And so that that is part of the bringing folks together. And then, of course, there is just, again, those folk groups as kind of a social lubricant, I guess, you know, having jokes together, being able to joke when things are, are tough, you know, having humor as a way to kind of cope and just having those positive memories together that kind of carry us through when things get a little bit tough. So I think it's really important. There's so much out there to learn and so many people out there to talk to. And so luckily in Canada, we have such a diverse range of knowledge holders and knowledge sharers. And I'm going to, I'm going to make sure I go out and access more of that. So the show is called Food for the Future. And how does learning about our past build a better way forward? I would say, again, going back to that idea of understanding our past to just better understand the presence. There's also the identity piece. So for me personally, when I started doing my family history, I, you know, I have, I have backgrounds in uh, German folks and Danish and Scottish, and, and I wanted to find the place in the world, in a folklore kind of a way, I wanted to find the place in the world where um, my ancestors were Indigenous too, and I would learn all the traditions from that place, and then I would know all these things. And, and that wasn't what I found. What I found was a really interesting history of global migration which really explained the context of my birth here in Saskatchewan. So even though it wasn't the history I went looking for, it's my history. And it really felt like a piece of the identity puzzle was just falling into place. And so I think that's part of the reason why folks are so interested in genealogies. It is building up that first story, right? How did I get here? And so I think it is incredibly important. My experience of being the executive director here is that absolutely every person has an incredible, amazing story. Um, if you take the time to talk to them and, and hear it. So just seek out those stories. 
Wonderful, wonderful takeaway. Seek out your own and other stories. Do you have any final thoughts that you would like to share? Uh, no, I would just say if you're interested in the folklore archives, www.skhistory.ca, check it out either for just the neat stories that you'll find, sort of chronicle the people's perceptions of their own history, as well as a lot of these traditions that were important to them. So I encourage folks to check it out. Thank you very much for that, Kristen. And thank you so much for helping us understand how important it is to look for our own story and also listen to other people's stories, that it's such an important part of knowledge. So thank you very much. Thanks so much for inviting me. Very delighted to have you. Today on Food for the Future, we've been speaking with Kristen Enns Cavanaugh, Executive Director at the Saskatchewan History and Folklore Society about preserving food, agriculture, and rural knowledge. Each week, to keep old and new agri-food traditions growing in your community, we leave you and your family or friends with something to talk about and something to do. Something to talk about? How could you preserve your knowledge about agri-food, your story, and listen to others? Something to do? Search Saskatchewan History and Folklore Society to learn more about one organization's local traditions for global encouragement. Next week on the show, we return to the monthly series, Our World. We'll hear big ideas from Max Hansgen, president of the National Farmers Union of Ontario, about the United Nations decade of family farming. Don't miss a show. Subscribe on CuriousCast and other major podcast platforms. I'm your host, Peggy O'Neill, and you've been listening to the weekly podcast, Food for the Future. Thank you to our Platinum Elite Level sponsor, Burn Bray Farms, Eggs for Life. Food for the Future with Peggy O'Neill airs every Saturday on 980 CFPL, Curious Cast, and where you get your podcasts.